the president was conveying this to you at the White House. In the Oval Office. And he told you that he had, he'd had a personal conversation with President Putin about hookers? Yes. It's not okay for the president of the United States to say a private citizen should be in jail. It's not normal, it's not acceptable, it's not okay. They both can't be right that I'm in the other team's pocket. The challenge of being the FBI in today's political environment is you're not on anybody's side. That confuses people, which I get, and it angers people, which I also get. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who heard from Vladimir Putin that Russia has the most beautiful prostitutes. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg, and I'm here with Virginia Heffernan, and we're here with two copies of James Comey's new book, A Higher Loyalty. And we have done something that very few people talking about the book have done. We've read it, Virginia. We've read it. We've, We've read it cover it. to cover. We've read, I've read every page of this book. I have read every page except the excerpts about Trump that I had already read. I did want to see in what context he drops the stories, the well-known stories that he gave in the testimony and that we have now seen in the memos. Before we get into it, I have a lot to ask you about this book, but we have to talk briefly about our live show coming up on May 30th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. I'm and so we're having. I'm so excited about this show because it's. we haven't done a real live show in New York. It's going to be really fun. We are going to have the people who've been doing the improv on our show. Steve Waltine, Kate James, and Asher Perlman are going to be doing some of their sketch comedy for us. And it's imp- improv, some of it, right? Like, you know, they come up with their sketches. They're barely scripted. They often come into the They're studio. They're not scripted. They, they come in the studio and they record <laughs> like four unprepared. of them in 45 minutes. It's unbelievable. I want people to see how they do this. It's so great. I, I think that's going to be the best part. Um, for tickets to that, go to slate.com slash live. That's slate.com com slash live. Yes. And if you have any suggestions for the show, let us know. Um, you can you can tweet at us at Real Trumpcast. So this book, Virginia, um, I really liked it. Um, I mean, and I didn't expect to like it, but I want to before we get into our opinions, I just want to ask you about what you thought about Comey before you read the book and how it changed your view of him at all. Did it did it change your view of Comey? Um, it did. I knew it's funny because the word about him that was, I think, almost always leveraged was sanctimonious, um, or he was sometimes called self-righteous, and that that got in his way. It was a kind of moral hubris that led him to make a bad decision. The question of whether he was ill-intentioned or not, I didn't know. But as for sanctimony, I think one of the first things he tells us is that he's prone to sanctimony. I get the feeling that he's always telling people that he's prone to sanctimony and correcting for it. There's a level of neurosis in him. That not sanctimony, but just just almost like a Hamlet like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? How am I coming across? Have I consulted my principles? You know, what does this person think of me? How's he acting? Is he trying to pressure me? He contrasts himself to Robert Mueller in the book and clearly considers himself he has the flaw almost of overthinking. He he even says that uh, uh, ba- some bad leaders get analysis paralysis, and he seems to have done that at times. This is fascinating. I think you've gotten right to the heart of what is is really interesting to me about James Comey as, as a person and the way he portrays himself. He says right at the beginning, you're right, right in the author's note at the beginning about how he can be prideful and overconfident and driven by ego. And then he says, I underline this passage near, much further along in the book, where he says, the stuff that gets to me most is the claim that I am in love with my own righteousness, my own virtue. Mm. Um, and he said, I've long worried about my ego. I'm proud of the fact that I try to do the right thing. I'm proud of the fact that I try to be truthful and transparent. So he is 
he's both denying and admitting that at the same same time this this righteous quality he's sort of saying i hate the people accuse me of this and the reason he hates it is there's kind of something to it and but what yes. is that line i mean it's not necessarily contradictory to think about doing the right thing and also th- think about your reputation for doing the right thing. Yes. I think Comey pretty clearly, if you read this book, I mean, I think he sort of lays it on the table in what was to me a very compelling way. I don't think there's another secret James Comey who has evil motives and, you know, is tries thinking about his career. I mean, he's clearly a guy who goes through life thinking about the right thing to do, but also with with being seen as a guy who does the right thing and is morally reflective. And it is a funny, I don't know that it paralyzes him, um, but, you know, there's a quality people like, which is the quality of being ethical and doing the right thing and thinking about doing the right thing. And there's a quality people don't like, which is the Reverend Comey thing and the idea yes, that he's- the medicine hol- priest. You know, yeah, you, you know, you're holier than thou or you're righteous or you think you're better than other people. Clearly rubs tr- <laughs> Trump and the Trump people the wrong way. I mean, that gets under their skin about Comey that he thinks he's I think in the also, right. I think also, you know, we were, um, I was part of this, as you know, slow burn live live event last night and- I think Bob Woodward at it. I'm name dropping, but I'll just go ahead. The next name I'm going to drop is Archibald Cox. Um, <laughs> Who is not on the panel with you. Bob Woodward said that, um, you know, was talking about how Nixon disliked that Archibald Cox, you know, was a Harvard person. And there's something in the James Comey seems like he might strike Trump as someone who thinks he's better than other people. And Comey, this is a higher loyalty. There's something elevated, physically elevated, and, you know, even an idealistic about Comey. You know, he's he likes the idea that he's uncorruptible. And, you know, Trump, whom Comey says used the art of the deal techniques on him. Do you remember that? He says, like, he's still doing his art of the deal thing. Um, he might have said that in the memos. But, but Trump likes to think that everybody's corruptible, that everyone has a price or can be blackmailed or can be pushed around and and has an agenda. And Comey likes to think he doesn't have an agenda and that, you know, he can't be corrupted. And so there's just this wonderful battle between between them, just as a kind of literary story. It just I couldn't get enough of this. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, Trump is, you know, is corrupt and says everyone's corrupt. And Comey is has an enormous stake in his integrity and, you know, clearly goes through a kind of anguish when when it's challenged. But it does set him up in a certain way. I mean, this is the guy who had Reinhold Niebuhr as his twi- secret Twitter handle, you yeah. know, who is always quoting Thomas More at you. And, you know, as much as I, I liked his book and found it really sincere, there is a certain lack of irony or just earthy humanity about about someone who is has that quality of righteousness. You know, he says, um, I think he says one thing he admires about leaders, because I will say this book is not just an effort to extenuate his actions in the 2016 election as much as we want to play it that way and pick sides. It really is a meditation on leadership. And some of the other, the, these books that are coming out so fast, I you know, mostly they hang their quotes and then there's like a prose stuff around them for the <laughs> quotes to hang on. But this really, I mean, I think the way he walks, wa- he walks us through his early mob prosecutions in the in the early ni- late 80s, early 90s, through um, the prosecution of, a, of the black mayor of Richmond, which I think was very interesting, where he had to kind of turn the or tried to turn a young black minister on him. The Martha Stewart prosecution, which led him to believe that, you know, no celebrity 
in some cases, no woman was was above being jailed for for lying. Let me just interrupt you there. It's interesting, Virginia. So he recounts these early cases when yes. he was a pro- prosecutor, first in the Southern District of New York, where he had the job Giuliani had before him, and then in in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Yes. I think it was. And the the thread in all of them is I and we in the prosecutor's office wanted to be merciful. But in the end, we couldn't because these people wouldn't admit their wrongdoing and tell the truth. Yeah, and the that's one thing, how, you're right. one thing you can never forgive is lying to the FBI or like it, lying to the Justice Department. If only Although, these people had thrown themselves on the mercy of the court, i.e., us, we could have, you know, we could have like let them go with a slap on the wrist. <laughs> Instead, they had to go to jail. It's it is uh, it also is when he's talking about financial crimes and, and Martha Stewart, who fits this paradigm exactly. He 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 kind of inadvertently gives some clues to would be white collar criminals because white collar criminals like like the presidents of the banks in 2008, uh, he says, can almost always get away with what they did because it, so much of it is about their state of mind when they did something. And often they can just plead. I didn't know. Un- I didn't understand this leveraging and this derivative and someone else must have messed this up. But so he says, if you just say X, they would be fine, but they lie and then we have them. It was interesting to me that so many crimes, you know, he contrasted these white collar crimes. And I get the sense there's a little bit of thinking toward whatever prosecution of Trump might take place, how hard these prosecutions are without a smoking gun and without a, he says, like a bag of heroin in the room where everybody knows what they're doing is wrong. You know, it might very well be that with a Mike Flynn, for example, you know, he might not have thought that making those calls was wrong or working or he might at least claim those things. And as long as he doesn't lie going forward, he might get away with it. Or at least that's a suggestion, I think, in some of the the parables in I, higher loyalty. I admire James Comey. And I think, you know, our, our country really depends in a way it it hasn't before on there being people with a Comey-like sense of integrity, particularly yeah. in the in the um, judicial branch and in the, the justice function of government. Yeah. But I don't feel like I would want to be friends with Comey. He's too much of a stiff. Well, it, you know, isn't it also interesting? I mean, there, he's, he, yeah, he, he uses this phrase comfortable in his own skin and says that that's important in a leader that they be comfortable. And he gives he he's at pains to show us he's comfortable in his own skin when he explains that he he keeps saying, I like to promote a sense of fun around the office. <laughs> For example, I once made a pun. Um, and I mean, he says it more than once, you know, that he's that he's very jolly and that he's um, um, you know, he keeps telling us how likable he is. At the same time, damn it, like he, that whole account of how brutally bullied he was growing up in, was it when they moved from Yonkers to Palisades or something? And uh, he describes, he tells us lest we don't know what a wedgie is and, <laughs> and gets us to feel it in our own butts. I mean, that's writing. It was very vivid. But, you know, it, but but, the but real- then you want to bully him. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, I would find you annoying, too. I was I would find I might have I might have cheered on the wedgie. But, the you know, but the but the, but the compelling thing is, you know, you, he does that. You've heard that move before. I was bullied. So I, you know, mm. I take the side of the under. But he says, you know, the really important episode was this time when I was a bully, when I kind of yeah. joined with the mob and, you know, bullied this kid who was a little weird in college. Right. Yeah. And he's that <laughs> talked endlessly about his hometown girlfriend. Right. I mean, you, you got the picture, you know, but that's <laughs> like but but it, but in a way, I found that to be the, to be the really compelling thing. This is a guy whose consciousness is 
I can't join the mob. I can't join the mob. Yeah. I'm not going to go along because they want me to go along. And that was why he ended up being such a hero in the Bush administration, mm. you know, in the famous hospital yes. bed scene, which even if you know that story, he recounts really, oh. really well in kind of riveting detail in this book. Wait, can you can you retell the story? Because talk about an excerpt that has not been pulled out of this book and is fascinating and historically interesting. Yeah, and I actually thought that was the little passage in the book, the 30 pages or whatever it is that I enjoyed the most. So, so basically what happened was they had this wireless warrantless wiretapping program and they Jack Goldsmith who was head of the office of legal counsel said it wasn't legal the the authorization of it was dubious and they were going to be post 9/11 sur- yeah. heavy surveillance after September 11th and it followed what had happened with this torture memo where they'd withdrawn Goldsmith had withdrawn this torture memo mm-hmm. which the CIA had used for justification anyway there was a huge uh, showdown with people from the White House, particularly from Dick Cheney's office, facing off against the Justice Department officials yep. led by Comey. And what happened was John Ashcroft, who was the attorney general, was in, rushed to the hospital with this dire pancreatitis. Mm-hmm. And the uh, White House people, backed up by the Secret Service, were rushing to one side of the bed and the and the the Comey people, the Justice Department people um, backed by the FBI were rushing to yeah. the other side of the bed and they were almost at the point of having a physical altercation. Cheney people and the Bush people wanted to get the uh, semi-conscious Ashcroft to put his signature mm-hmm. on this this dubious renewal of this program, yeah. which eventually was thrown out and, and limited, limited in scope. Anyway, but what's in, sort of interesting about that story to me is that Comey just it becomes very intense for him that he's just not going to go along just because he's being because everyone thinks one thing and because they're kind of bullying him and pressuring him to do it. And they're telling him, you know, thousands of people could die if you don't renew this permission we have to do this kind of wiretapping. That's right. Yeah. He's, yeah and I think, yeah, he quotes himself as having said to Cheney. That makes me feel bad, but I stand behind this. The law is the law. He's a lawman. You know, he's not going to break the law because someone tells him he has to. And that's his identity. Thinking of that that hospital bed, that like incredibly vivid scene that he paints, what instantly comes to mind having just finished this book is Cheney is a gangster mobster like on the on the mafia don thing he's trying to like strong arm comey into making a bad decision gonzalez i think is he puts in a kind of weak category like alberto gonzalez who was the the um, the white house counsel yeah oh white house counsel um later the ag i think obama he puts obama a little bit in that category nice guy but not maybe not he's he makes a big point of saying that he didn't support Obama, which is interesting. Um, that he didn't support Obama for the presidency. This is Comey. I thought he was very very positive about Obama he in general. He thinks ha- Obama has a little little of this hubris arrogance. He thinks yeah. you know Obama has too much faith in his own brilliance and judgment. But he's, he's very on ethical very, grounds. He's a hundred percent on Obama's yes, side. Yes, and he came around to him, so he didn't support him. I think yeah. for the presidency. No, he, he's a Republican. I mean, that's clear, right? Yeah. His views are Republican, Republican that's, views. That's clear. But, you know, when you talk about, so so Cheney's a bully. Giuliani earlier, you, you get to know as a bully, that he basically runs the Southern District, even in their prosecution of the mob, like the mob. And so he sort of mirrors the structure of that. And there's one now that Giuliani may have joined Trump's legal team or seems to have joined Trump's legal team. And also, if you take into account the Byzantine story of Giuliani's influence on the rogue New York FBI field office, 
it, it becomes even more poignant what Comey says. Uh, the maxim of the 90s was there's no more dangerous place to be than between Giuliani and the microphone. And those are the th- things that Comey's observing all along about why is Cheney an asshole and a bad leader? Why is Giuliani a leader and a, and a you know, a bad leader and an asshole? And all the way up to Trump. Those are the, the counterexamples, the cautionary tales of bad leadership that he's illustrating in the book. I don't know. I'm, and George W. Bush, I would I would point out who he says is kind of a bully, too. Yes, and, yeah. that's right. And 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 weird things like he starts his meetings early, which drives Comey crazy <laughs> and led to the embarrassment of one of his underlings that he really thought was unconscionable. And and also that he had a temper. Yeah, he doesn't like how he sort of lords, lords it over people and is always looking for, you know, makes fun of people with this kind of cruel edge that is to establish his superior position. Yes. And it's this goes back to this bullying thing we were talking about, about um, Comey's very attuned yes. to bully, bullies and bullying. But I also think he's a writer. And Obama, incidentally, when I read Dreams from My Father, I thought, oh, Obama's fundamentally a writer. Like, there are not that many presidents that have had, like, thoroughgoing literary imaginations. You know, I'd almost put Comey up there with Obama. And he does, takes the writer's revenge. I've done this myself. You write about a person that you, you know, think is kind of a jerk and who's successful in our non-pointy-headed world, you know, maybe an athlete or whatever. And you just describe some physical detail because all you have, your yeah. weapons of the week, <laughs> are your little language and and your little ability to say that his, you know, tanning goggles have left this mark on him. I mean, he's the president. He has fired him. So why not, you know, why not uh, use the power of the pen to strike back a little bit. Um, the writing's pretty good. I don't think it's a, the level of Obama's first book, but it's surprisingly good, especially since he doesn't seem to have had a ghostwriter. I mean, he doesn't credit one. I know. So he is an editor, but I think he sat down and wrote this thing. And those details, I mean, I didn't find them petty. I thought they were they were just the kind of description that makes something vivid. And he did it pretty well. I mean, that it's not, it's not an A-plus piece of writing, but for a lawyer and for someone with his kind of career Absolutely. doing his first book— it's really, it's, I mean, it, he pulls it off. He's with a, a lot better than my hero, Hillary Clinton. He's a lot better. I'm trying to think of some of the memoirs this year, but, but, um, yeah, I thought it's quite surprising that way. But that is because, and here's where I'm going to propose something controversial. That's because I do think it's a book about leadership that he's planned for a long time. He's been studying these figures, including uh, the woman whose name I forgot and who initiated him into the SDNY preceded preceded Giuliani, I think. Is that right? No, I think you're talking about the woman who was the U.S. attorney in Betty. Virginia who he worked for, who, okay. who, who, who was a big mentor to him, whose name I also forgot. Okay, we can go back on that one. You know, he talks about formative experiences like losing a very young baby, which is, you know, no small thing, um, and his wife having to endure that, and also his enduring the bullying, and we left out this um, violent crime that he was a victim of. But Anyway, so he comes up, he's been scrutinizing other people sort of to see how he should behave and apprenticing himself to other people. You think instead of of Robert Mueller, who, you know, is always described as essentially having his own moral compass, having no self-doubt. This Comey is the opposite of that. He's really trying to mirror the people around him, find people he should be, shouldn't be. Okay, so here's the thing. He tells you how he stuck out like a sore thumb and, you know, ultimately, literally when he became 6'8", and <laughs> that he was, you know, he's constantly knocking his head on, you know, on door frames, at being asked if he played basketball. He didn't. And generally feeling quite awkward, I think, in his body and also telling you he's an individual. He doesn't need to fit in. All right. Stay with me. Mimi Roca yesterday 
former also federal prosecutor at SDNY, was talking about mobs and flipping witnesses, sort of apropos of like, are we going to be, is the FBI going to flip Michael Cohen? And um, what she said is that when people flip from the mafia, they're great witnesses for the government. Why? Because they are joiners. They want to belong to something. And they go from, I'm a person who lies for the boss, to I'm a person who tells the truth for the country. You know, you think about Papadopoulos right now. He thought he was doing the best thing for the country by, you know, by promoting Trump abroad and trying to get him elected. And now he thinks he's a hero if you follow him and his wife on Twitter. Um, for the nation. You know, he's just, his allegiances have switched, but he's an exponent of a new thing. You know, we talk about Comey as an individualist. Comey is FBI through and through. Mm. He talks about it all the time, and he feels like he was finally accepted and loved. And if there's anything you can fault him for, it's blind allegiance to the FBI. I think blind allegiance when, and when the facts come out about the pressure he got from the rogue FBI field office that he doesn't talk a lot about from Giuliani, his old boss, who he says intimidated him and was influencing that office, and the leaks they were doing along the way. We may learn that in, in, in October 2016, he was responding to more mob-like pressures than he admits to. Um, those mob pressures coming from an office that, by his own admission, acted like the mob. I mean, it's really, it's really a, a fascinating story. It's Shakespearean on some level. I, I think. mean, if I wanted to make a case on Trump's side against Comey, yeah. what I would say is, you read his book and you see that this guy who prosecuted the mafia sees mafias everywhere on the other side. That he's developed this yes. prosecutorial m- mentality, and he clearly, from the beginning, sees the Trump organization as a mafia. Yeah, first flush. So you go in with that mindset and you've decided I'm the guy who fights the mafia. Mm Mm-hmm. You're decide- you've decided you you you're fighting a new mafia just by their attitudes, by their behavior, by the kind of organization it is. Yeah. Before you've kind of seen the evidence, so the the case would be that he's rushed to judgment against the Trump people, and that Trump, you know, figured out in the first meetings that. You know, the, he was asking for loyalty from this guy, which was crazy. He was never going to get right. any loyalty from James Comey. But what he should have been asking for is fairness. You know, he yeah. should have been Trump should have been saying, don't judge me based on appearances. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah, that's yeah. and, you know, I don't this is not necessarily what I think. But I, I do think Comey had an idea in his head what he was dealing with with the Trump people. And I think he was I think that idea was right. But I think he, you know, there was probably a kind of presumption ab- about their, how ethical their behavior was that may have gotten a little bit ahead of the evidence. I mean, you, um, Mimi Roca was saying yesterday that she sees, you know, she has this kind of almost religious fervor about FDNY in particular and, and, the, and the FBI. And she says um, that they think of themselves as like, emergency room doctors who, you know, will treat even the worst racist, even the worst murderer and scoundrel who comes in, like, instantly sort of stop the bleeding. But what's interesting is they're talking about prosecution, not about what I would think would be analogous to the to the ER, which is some kind of defense. I mean, you come from a tradition of um, we defend the Nazis and the, you know, Jews alike, their rights under the Constitution. This is a, a slightly different thing, which is that I go after with equal vigor 
everyone from Martha Stewart to a black minister to, you know, that I show no mercy for anyone, you know? And that criminal organization, right. It's, and that yeah. criminal organization, right. And once they, once he puts them in that category, and I think, you know, it's, it's the thing that distinguishes the Trump organization from the, from the mafia very clearly to me is that there doesn't seem to be any violence associated with the Trump organization, even its connections to the Russian mafia. You know, you can get one step removed from two steps removed from human trafficking if you think about the money laundered in Panama and some of the money laundered in the U.S. But it's really not like, you know, when he talks about flipping uh, Sammy the Bull Grabano and it, it making, in my head, I make that analogous to Michael Cohen, Sammy the Bull Grabano had killed 40 people, strangled 40 people. I mean, but remember, you know? the, the great goal of the mafia is always to get into legitimate business and yes. out of all the dirty business, right. right? So they want to move up the food chain. So if you're already up the food chain, you don't move down the food chain into, you know, into into racketeering and shaking people down for nickels and dimes. Yes. Right? You're doing, you know, you're you're into money laundering and, and stock manipulation. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think and the Trump organization, we have to be careful, but may have assisted a mafia-like, mafia-like moves at the level of money laundering. But what's weird is, Bob Woodward was saying last night, there's going to be no smoking gun here. I don't agree. I think we already have a smoking gun in some of the indictments here being with Trump. But but I don't think we're going to find the kind of violent crimes that lead people necessarily to flip the way they did with um, with Grabano and the and the crime families in New York. All right. Two other things we've got to talk mm-hmm. about. First of all, these memos that have come out, AP got a hold of Comey's actual memos that he describes in the book. It's did something we, like an hour after they were declassified. I mean, I don't even, we can't even call it leaks. It's just like well, straight. Well, they're de- to, declassified. Who cares? But um, it, did it add anything? I mean, it's a, my, my reading of them, which was a little hasty, it just seemed to substantiate. I mean, he wrote, Comey wrote this account having the memos in his files, at least the declassified versions. And it seemed, I mean, there were a few bits that were that were cut for space, sort of, but <laughs> it seemed pretty pretty consistent with the story he tells, right? I mean, I um, I was interested in how the dialogue was done in Michael Wolff's book, so- uh, F- uh, Fire and Fury, and we get a little bit of how the dialogue is sort of transmogrified by, co- like, by Comey between the memos in which he memorialized the conversations, he says, five minutes after they ended, and the finished product. So it was interesting to me to see, for instance, that Trump greeted the news that the Kremlin had tapes of him cavorting with prostitutes at the Ritz in 2013. The first thing he said in Comey's immediate memory was, there were no prostitutes, there were never prostitutes. Those two, those, and he he has that in quotation marks. In this, and then he says, I don't go there, which Comey takes to mean I don't have to pay for sex. He's he changes the language of that a lot in the in the book. I don't yeah. I don't quite understand that. But there were ne- there were no prostitutes. There were never prostitutes. To me, that sounds like they were strippers, you know, <laughs> or like I didn't pay for them. <laughs> Somebody else paid for them. Pragu. Those were yes, exactly. Or the yeah, Pragu. You got a detail wrong here. They were pageant, you know, they well, were pageant the, people. All right, my view as a, as a but close, they were definitely something from that statement. I felt. I mean, you know, uh, well, obviously we all care. Is the Steele dossier true? And by that we mean was there pee on a mattress on the Ritz? That's the only thing we ever care about. My, but that was interesting to me, Virginia. My previous position is was that the pee tape was preposterous because who would let people pee in a bed? That either you're going to sleep in or even another bed in the same hotel room. You don't want to sleep in a room with a bed that's been peed on. 
But Trump's defense is that he didn't even sleep in the room. That's right. So suddenly it's plausible again, which Comey doesn't realize. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, this this is only for just like insane connoisseurs of the, this conversation with Comey. But we sh- should recognize that Keith Schiller has already given the lie to Trump's repeated claim to Comey that he didn't spend the night in the room. They did, in fact, spend that night there. But a presidential suite, I'm sure, has many soft couches and Trump doesn't seem to need a lot of sleep, sleep anywhere. don't want to sleep in a room that somebody's peed in. After, even after the, you mean, just for, for scent reasons reasons uh, for, think about it well you know look he's the president he's the well that's not true but he's donald trump he's in the presidential suite i bet he can get some people up there to change the mattress or whatever it takes anyway i i, I do i like your forensics though <laughs> <laughs> yes i could be i could have been a special agent all right last thing i gotta ask you about also incidentally they peed on each other if the dossier is to be believed so maybe none of it got on the mattress we we someday we'll get to the bottom <laughs> we of this. need to understand bladder sizes <laughs> Content. <laughs> um, okay. I, I remain skeptical. All right. um, Hillary Clinton, yeah. you, you certainly were someone, as was I, who was very upset about Comey's behavior running up to the election and particularly announcing on October 29th the reopening of the email investigation, right. which a lot of people think cost Hillary Clinton the election, whether whether it did or not, you know, the thing he has been most attacked for is making that announcement. Did this did reading his version of it make you think differently about that decision of his? I think he well, I really, really think he underplays this this the role of the New York FBI office, which we you know, that just hasn't come to light. What he So, so Comey does say that one of the reasons he decided to make the announcement was that he was worried it would leak before the election and that would be worse. And that would have presumably come from the FBI New York field office or from the Southern District of New York prosecutors. Right. But when he gets to I just had to be even handed and that's why I did it. Not the leaks thing, but when he says, you know, even the content of what he said in that in that uh, press conference, you know, that saving to the end the idea that she wasn't under investigation and leading with a description of her. What does he say? Recklessness and using this email server. I think that effort at impartiality that some people condemn the media for, sort of both sides, like this was somehow equivalent to the investigation into Trump, was, I don't know. like You're just, mad at You're still mad at him or not? I mean, you, you, <laughs> you, did, you think he did something that unforgivable? Because I'll tell you what I think. Okay. I mean, I, mean I, I think he made a pretty good case for an honest mistake. He certainly made a good case that it was an honest decision, that, you know, he was fully conscious of these issues about affecting the election and that he was in this kind of impossible bind where if he didn't reveal it, it would be seen as a cover-up. And, of course, sharing the the assumption that Hillary was likely to become president, he thought if it came out after, it could cast a cloud over his presidency. And he's in this meeting with all these FBI people. They're all anguished about it, and there's no good decision. And he makes the call, and I think he made the wrong call. I don't think he should have made the October 29th announcement on, but it's a call, it's a decision you make on balance with pros and cons, yeah. and it just seems to me like a, you know an honest misjudgment as opposed yeah. to anything worse than that. And he you can't says really too, fault the guy for an honest misjudgment. I think so. I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I will say also that you know two weeks ago, I made it. I created this medium post to talk about all the suspects in the sort of crime that happened on November 8th, 2016, you know, who did it, who like, you know, murdered the rightful president and installed, you know, our evil stepfather, Donald Trump. And, 
you know, two weeks ago, we decided we thought it, all thought it was Mark Zuckerberg and he owed us a million apologies for subverting democracy. And periodically, we think it's Hillary Clinton for not running, a, not campaigning in Wisconsin or not understanding white working class rage. Sometimes people credit Trump for being brilliant and understanding, being a terrific strategist. People talk about districting, um, talk about the New York Times, you know, to blame. The New York Times recently, Amy Chozik, I think, in her book is saying from what Comey says, it was bad data and reporting about the outcome of the election that led him to the confidence that Hillary would win. This wouldn't affect the outcome of the election. So Nate Silver's to blame or whoever. I think this is if it's a murder mystery. I think it's murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> they they all did it. They all did they it. All, <laughs> they all did it together. Um, all right. Well, any any last thoughts about this book? I think um, this is not the Trumpcast Book Club. We have a Trumpcast Book Club where we read old books and novels that help you understand Trump. But um, Virginia, I love talking to you about the new books that are actually about what's been happening in the last last year. Um, yeah, we, I think we um, we we recommend it, right? I My, mean, I, I, I'm going to say a, a pretty hearty thumbs up. Yeah. I mean, I I. Um, I found it a page turner too. You know, I've like gotten stuck a little bit, to be honest, on Russian roulette and some of the others where I've been following the reporting. But the content of James Comey's mind, just as a character, not as a is he good, is he bad, but just as as you know, here's a man riven with doubt. And I mean, I, you know, we were just talking about King Lear. It'll be really fascinating <laughs> to see someone play Comey, an anguished, principled character that uh, had a lot of responsibility and and may have affected world history. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I try to read all the Trump books and at any given time you're either reading them because you have to or because you want to. And yeah. I, I wanted to be reading this pretty much all the way through. It's, it's, it's quite it's quite engaging and, and interesting. I, thanks so much for talking it through with me, Jacob. Thank you, Virginia. It's been a pleasure. 